Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. And uh, we are in the last third part of our little series on Esther. We've been going through the book of Esther. It's a small book in the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to wrap it up today. So uh, let me just pray before we start off and we'll dive in. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning that we get a chance to gather, fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, we just want to honor your word, and God, let our, let, help our ears be open and our heart to receive your word this morning. And God, may we live to walk it out and be your church in this generation. So Lord, teach us. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, just to kind of get us where we're going to launch off, I need to do a little summary of this story in Esther. Uh, the time period that we find, it's a, a, in between 400 and 500 B.C. This is when Persia, the empire of Persia, before Greece, uh, is the world-dominant force at the time. And the king of Persia is a guy named Ahasuerus, or by his Greek name, Xerxes. And Ahasuerus has a wife named Vashti. Well, Ahasuerus owns 127 provinces all across Persia, and he has all these leaders come to his lands, and he shows off all his lands. And for six months, he takes all the, the elites around to all around Persia to see the glory of his empire. And at the end, they have a seven-day feast. Imagine a seven-day feast. Now, uh, we here have weddings in the United States. Usually that reception is what? Three, four hours. Uh, this is a, f- a week-long party. And on the seventh day after bunch of partying and drinking and debauchery, uh, the king Ahasuerus calls for his beautiful wife to come dance before the elites, his friends. Vashti is like, no, no, no way. I, I'm not doing that. Sorry, not going to do that. And so King Ahasuerus gets so mad, he dethrones his own queen. And about three years later, they have a little beauty pageant across the kingdom of Persia, And all these women, the most beautiful women, kind of get called to be a part of this beauty contest. Well, the most beautiful of all of them is a woman named Esther. Esther is a Jewish, young Jewish woman uh, who's in Persia. God had actually called his people to come back to Jerusalem. But these Jews decided to not take God's uh, ask or request on that. And so they remained in Persia. And so they're, they're a little bit kind of, you could argue that they're maybe in disobedience, the Jewish people at this time. But regardless, here comes Esther. And she has a cousin named Mordecai. And her cousin Mordecai says, hey, Esther, don't let the king know you're Jewish. Keep that to yourself. So Esther becomes queen. Well, Mordecai, uh, as he was uh, by the, uh, some of the king's guards, overhears a plot to kill the king. And Mordecai exposes that plot from some of the king's servants, and that gets recorded down. That'll come back later. 
So Esther is now queen. Well, there's this new guy named Haman. Now, Haman came from another pagan land. That's kind of some roots to another, Jew, another story that we find in uh, Jewish history in 1 Samuel. But this guy named Haman comes on the scene. This guy Haman uh, is very pagan, but he gets assigned number two position in all of Persia. Number two. So right behind King Ahasuerus is this guy named Haman. Haman uh, asks all to bow down before him. When he's walking in the city, everyone is to bow down and worship him because the king gave him his signet ring. That means a signet ring, if you add from like even every household uh, would sometimes have a signet ring if you did business in the agora or the marketplace, that's a little later in the Roman times, but if you had a signet ring, you could do business as your father. So if you got a signet ring from your dad, you could go to the business, business places and do business like your dad. So the king's ring is the same way. He gave the signet ring to Haman so he can kind of do the things and he can give orders just like the king. Well, as all these people are bowing down, there's one that consistently does not bow down, and that is the man Mordecai. Mordecai says, hey, honor is one thing, but worshiping you is another, and that I cannot do. That goes against my relationship with the Lord because he is the only one that I bow down to and worship. And so Haman gets aggravated. His pride swells, and he's like, man, I hate this man. Mordecai comes back home. He dialogues about it with his wife. His wife is like, hey, you know, she, Mordecai needs to face some punishment. Well, Haman makes this rule, makes this law. And in the law of the, uh, Persia and Medes, the, the Medes and the Persians, uh, once a law was made, it could never be revoked. There were no amendments. There were no vetoes. Once a law was made, the law was permanent forever across all the provinces. And Haman, because he not only dislikes Mordecai, but he knows he's connected to the Jews he picks one day in the near future to give permission for all Persians to slaughter all the Jews, all the Jews around. You have permission from the state to go not only kill them, but take all they own for your possession. So when Mordecai finds out that this law has been passed, he's weeping, he's crying, he puts on sackcloth and throws ashes on himself as a sign of like, God, I'm... I'm crying out for you. And what's interesting is that in all the book of Esther, it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention the word God once, doesn't mention God. But we see God's sovereignty on every page in Esther. And so this law has been made. This day has been set. The Jewish destruction has been made. And so Mordecai tells Esther, Esther, you've got to go to the king and request an audience from him. She goes, you don't understand. The king, if, if you go into his presence without him requesting you, the law is death. And so Mordecai, in, verse, in chapter 4, says this, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that, the king's palace, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom 
for such a time as this. This is kind of the quintessential line in the whole book. You have been born for such a time as this, Esther. You can't keep quiet. You can't be silent. You've got to stand up for you and your people. And here's her reply, verse 16. Then I will go to the king. She was kind of given some excuses like, ah, I could die. But when Mordecai gives her this charge that maybe you've been born for such a time as this, Esther gets a dose of courage and boldness. And she says, if I go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And so she goes to the king, and the king grants her an audience. And she asks the king, I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom, the king says to her. What do you request? And so on the spot, Esther says, I invite you and Haman to a feast, which is like not really what she wants to say, but so we don't really, the text doesn't say whether this is a part of her whole plan or she gets kind of nervous in the moment. Hey, uh, how about a feast for uh, you and Haman? Okay, great. And so she gives a feast for the king and Haman, his number two. And at that, the king asks her again, hey, what do you request? She goes, I'd like to throw another feast for you. So it's like, hey, we're here for this feast. Come on, tell, you what, tell me what you want. Esther says, I want to throw another feast for you, and then I will finally tell you what I request. Well, that night, two things happen. So before Esther has that third feast to let her know, let the king know that she's Jewish, there's something the night before, two things happen. One, Haman leaves that feast, and on his way home, he sees Mordecai again. And Mordecai again does not bow down. And so he's in a rage by the time he gets home. And he and his wife and his advisors come up with a plan. says that Mordecai needs to hang. And so his advisors say, hey, why don't you make a gallows, and we'll hang Mordecai on it in the morning. Haman loves that idea. Man, great idea. So you make the gallows, I'll go to the feast in the morning, tell the king, or I'll go before the feast, tell the king about Mordecai. We'll hang Mordecai, and then we'll hit the feast. All in a day's good effort, right there, right? So that plan gets hatched. At the same time, though, the king, the king can't sleep. And so he asked his advisors, why don't you go get me the book of memorable acts? Just something to put me to sleep, right? Anybody read books to go to sleep? Amen. All right. I get to page. My wife gives me a hard time. I get to pay about two and a half, and I'm about out. So king's the same way. So they bring this book of memorable acts, and in that, the assistants read of Mordecai exposing the plot that killed the king way back in chapter 2. But he now hears about it for the first time. The king had never heard about Mordecai exposing a plot, ever. So in the morning, here comes Haman about ready to proposition the king to hang Mordecai. Then the king sees him coming in the courtyard, and he's like, hey, Haman, I got, I got a question to ask you. What would you do if someone, if you wanted to honor someone? What would you do if, like, just, I, I really want to honor this person? Well, Haman thinks that he's talking about him. And so Haman's like, well, why don't you, why don't you put a king, your, your old robe, a king's robe, on that man? Why don't you put him on your horse? Why don't you give him your crown? And why don't you have the, the number two, like, parade him around town? 
That's what you should do. And so the king's like, all right, that's what I want you to do to Mordecai. Wait, 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 what? Mordecai. Yeah, go honor Mordecai. And because the king gave the order, Haman was commanded to go take Mordecai, the very guy he wanted to hang, to take Mordecai and put the king's robe, do the very thing to his enemy that he wanted done to himself. And he parades Mordecai through town with honor. Then comes the feast. Later that day, here comes Esther's third feast. And so she has this feast. And now the king and Haman, Haman's kind of plan to see Mordecai hanged has been thwarted. He now had to honor him that day. So Haman's just kind of thrown, right? So they're, they're at the feast, and Esther finally lets the king know, I am destined for destruction. Can you please save me? Me and my people. It's like the king didn't know that he gave Haman permission to institute this law that on that one day all Jews were destined for destruction. But because it came from Esther, but because it come, her, her request came from her, it was like, who did this? Who made this law against you and your people? And Esther points right to Haman. Haman made this law. So the king turns to Haman, and you can tell in the text, the king was pretty pissed. And so Haman knew his name was on the docket for the guy, I mean, for destruction. And the king is so mad, he leaves and he goes out into his garden to kind of think. And as he's out there stewing what to do with Haman, his number two, who was about, who made in law to kill his wife, Haman's inside begging for his life from Esther. Please, please don't let him kill me, please. And as the king is coming back in to render his judgment, Haman throws himself onto Esther. Please, I'm begging my life. But what the king sees, king sees something totally different. The king sees Haman trying to take advantage of Esther, trying to abuse his wife in his presence. And he's like, are you going to abuse my wife also? And then he gives the orders, and then uh, the, it's like as he was given his response, it's like the, they put a bag over his head, and then one of the servants says, hey, you know, Haman, he, he built a gallows for Mordecai last night. He's got a fresh gallows at his place. And the king's like, hang him on it. So the very gallows that he had made for Mordecai, he gets hung on himself. And that's where we left off from last week. And so everything, if Esther would have asked at a different time, if she would have asked the first time, all those things would have been, not have been set up. And the king would have had a totally different mood towards Haman. Everything that had now, has now been reordered and redone to fulfill the timing purposes of God. And he's not finished yet. He's not finished yet. So he hangs Haman, but the pro there's still a problem. There's this law. There's this law. All the Jews are still to be exterminated. And like we've said in the last two weeks, any law of the Medes and the Persians was a law you could not change. It was fixed. It was unalterable. But this sovereign God, as we see in the book of Esther, is a God who can reverse the irreversible. God is a God who can reverse the irreversible. And we're going to see. 
Let me show you some of these reversals that we find in chapter 8. So Haman has now been executed. Esther 8.1. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told what he was to her. Hey, Esther, hey King Mordecai actually is my cousin. Last week I mentioned he was an uncle. That was a misphrase. He's a cousin. He's my cousin. He's, he's my family. But King Ahasuerus gives Haman. Haman had paid 10,000 silver coins to the king so that he could institute this law. He was a rich man. But all of Haman's property and goods became Esther's. There was a great reversal. So you could say an economic reversal. And when God got on the scene, the God who can reverse the irreversible reversed the situation for Esther. Proverbs 13.22 says, The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. And that proves true here in Esther. Like I said, Haman was a rich man. He put all that money to kill the Jews, but it was now given to Esther. Here's another reversal. Reversal number two in Esther 8.2. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So not only does Mordecai, Esther gets Esther gives Haman his property. So now Mordecai owns all of what Haman owned. And he now has the signet ring. Now he can do business as the king. He's the number two in all of Persia, the greatest empire known to that time. Took off his signet ring. That ring was a ring of authority. God can change things on a dime. You think that the powers that be have the final say. You think that because they have the position, they have the name, they have the money, that they have the final say. They wouldn't have a thing unless God gave it to them in the first place. Because the God who gives it can take it away for his purposes. You only have, humanity has only one source. Nobody, I don't care who you are, has the final say over a Christian living by the Spirit in the will of God. Nobody, no state, no president, no sheriff has the authority over your life to live like God designed you to live, which means as you walk with the Lord, you will never live a threatened life. If you walk with the Lord confidently before him, you will never live a threatened life. And our culture is training us to be threatened, if you haven't noticed. Things can be threatening, but they do not have the final say. Then coming off of that was another reversal. The king, king, we got to do something about this law, this irrevocable law. We got to do something about it. What's the king to do? So, verse 7, then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, behold, I've given Esther the house of Haman and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regards to the Jews. And in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Hey, God's kingdom program is a lot bigger than you. The king says, hey, y'all come up with something and I'll put my seal on it. So Mordecai, taking the lead, they come up with an executive order. We all understand that. Those are kind of common today. So an executive order, verse 10. 
and Haman, or sorry, Haman, he's gone, Mordecai, wrote in the name of the king of Hazarus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying the king allowed the Jews who were in every city, here's what they get to do. They get to gather and to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, to plunder their goods on one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So the same day that the Jews were destined for destruction, Mordecai comes up with a law that on that same day, they're able to defend themselves. Giving the ability for the people to defend themselves is always a check to tyranny. That's a little history lesson. So God has an override button that can take what Satan has planned against you and against his people. Circumstances that look not in your favor. When the enemy comes in like the flood, the scripture says, he's going to raise up a standard against them. And in that, when the enemy surges and is working overtime to accomplish his dark purpose, God, in that time, raises up men and women who will stand strong and be who God made them to be and do what he's asking them to do. God raised up Esther then, and he's raising up you and us here now in this generation. Amen? There was an emotional reversal that we see in chapter 4 when the law to annihilate the Jews was first given. There was weeping, gnashing of teeth. But then in the second law, when that was passed, and the carrier sent the message out, Esther 8.16 says the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. There is an emotional reversal that when God shows up and reverses the irreversible, that God can reverse even emotions. Sorrow may endure the night, but joy comes in the morning, Scripture says. God can wipe away those tears. He can turn pain into the pleasure, the pleasure of victory. He can turn pain into healing. He can take those things in your past, heal them, restore them, and to where you are stronger in those areas for the rest of your life because you had to fight that battle. In that area, much like a broken bone. When we break a bone, what? It heals back, but when it heals, it heals back harder, it's more solid. And when there's ever a break, it's usually right next to that healed bone. In the same way, God's trying to heal his church, he's trying to heal so that we could be his people in this generation, representing who he is. There is nothing more powerful. Here's a final thought here. There's nothing more powerful in the kingdom of God as one who confidently knows God Almighty, who knows his timing and is submitted to his will. There's nothing more powerful. There's one more thing. The last verse in chapter 8, there's one more reversal. So we saw there was an economic reversal with Haman's property. There was a legal reversal with this law. There was, there was an authority reversal in that he gave uh, what, what authority was Haman's, gave it to Mordecai. Then there's this last reversal. It's quite astounding. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, this new law, 
there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. They saw how God was able to respond to these Jewish people, and they were like, hey, I got to have me some of that. I like the God who protects his people like that. I love a God who reverses the irreversible. I want to serve a God like that. And so to become Jewish, you had to come under the Jewish covenant, and to come under the Jewish covenant, you had to accept the Jewish God. God may put you in a bad situation so that he gives you supernatural deliverance. We've heard it said, everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants a miracle situation. Right? We want miracles. We're like, God, where's your miracles? But then you got, you're put in a miracle situation where nothing is going to work unless God shows up. There's nothing within my power to do what's on my heart to do. God has to show up. And so the God who can reverse the irreversible does what he do. Satan thought he had Jesus on the cross when he hung him high and stretched him wide. It looked like Satan had won, but yet early on Sunday morning at the break of day, God raised Jesus up and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All all power and authority is in my hands. God is a God who has the power to reverse what the enemy has planned. And he does the same thing time and time and time again. So some of these situations in which our lives require waiting for our sovereign Lord to show up. Sometimes we're so impatient. The need to wait on the Lord for his timing is huge as a follower of Jesus. There may be some things that God has put on your heart, dreams and things that are actually from the throne room of God. But the timing is everything. That timing to a 20-year-old, hey, here's this dream, how I want you to change the world. Man, boom, great. Now it's a chance to grow and train and be who God's... But God has to show up in that timing, in that divine moments in your life. It's God who shows up. So what is the situation that's on your mind that you need God to show up on. That God to intervene, to reverse the irreversible that you think is irreversible. What is that situation? Could be an addiction. Could be a situation at work. Could be a relationship. It could be what's going on in our nation and our world. Give it to him and trust That as we are the people as he's made us to be, that he will be the God that he's always been. That he is the God who reverses the irreversible, who shows up, who changes things on a dime, who can transform a broken, broken life and make it into a son and daughter of the Most High God. God who intervenes. So earlier in the summer, we had this kind of summer faith challenge that we would kind of like give people all summer that you could join us. In that, this summer, faith challenges that we're praying every day. We're asking God the things that are on our minds, that are on our heart. God, we're praying. We're praying because you need to show up. No amount of human ingenuity or strategy or solutions is going to solve the condition of the human heart. And so, God, that's what we're crying out for. So join us on this summer of faith, praying every day and then fasting once a week, fasting food. It's old school, I know, but 
it gets us into this place of communing with the Lord, of saying, no, 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 I'm not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I'm going to shape and train my life to be his son, his daughter in this generation, because we only got one ride, right? We got one admission, one ticket, and we only got one ride. So while we're on this ride, why don't we maximize who God made you to be and believing in a God who he is. He reverses the irreversible. God wants to do some supernatural things through your life. And in his timing, it's happening. As long as we still are God's people and not giving into the ways of the world, not compromising, not being hypocrites, as we're God's people, God will show up on time every time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, God, there are some things on our heart. God, there's some heavy things on our hearts. God, things that are, are life and death for some. So Lord, these are weighty things that God, we are weighed down by. And Father, right now, we just give them to you. We just hand them over into your hands. God, we cease from being God in this situation. We cease from trying to control the situation, trying to control other people. God, we realize that you are God and we are not. God, that you are the God who can reverse the irreversible in our life. And so, Lord, we just, we repent of that lie that you don't do the same things that you do nowadays. God, we repent of that lie that you can't come into our life and completely transform and change it to be who you've dreamed us to be and made us to be. So, Lord, any lie that would try to entrench us in this rut straight from the enemy. So, Lord, we look to you. We thank you that you're the God who shows up, that you're the pursuing God. Lord, that you give us all your love from day one that there's nothing that we have to do to earn that love, and there's nothing that we can do to turn away that love. But Lord, in that love is not just a feeling, but God, it is a commitment to be who you've made us to be. And in love, in our love for you, that we live lives of obedience to your word, that we live yielded to you, that we live in your will. So, Lord, we just give these things to you to say, God, we are trusting you to reverse the irreversible. And, God, we're putting this in your hands, and we're trusting in your timing. God, we give you control of timing in our lives. And, God, we ask you that you would be the God in this moment over these things as you always have been. God, that you are worthy of our trust and that you are trustworthy. Thank you that you are the God that you are. May we be your people in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. We'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.